I really try to reflect on why I love running in the first place. And really, I'm not trying to be like cheesy and fluffy about it. Like, I really love the actual physical action of running. (laughs) And I think that if you really love that, you will find a way to keep going because that's ultimately what's worth it. And I think, you know, if you are a slower paced runner, that's fine. Like I've learned to own my pace and recognize that I deserve to have goals. And even if that goal is knocking just a few seconds off of your mile pace or something like that, and you're comparing yourself to others on Strava, like just keeping in mind that it's your story and it's all about you in that moment. And I think in that sense, that is where I try to center myself and remember that I'm really blessed to be able to do this. And I'm really grateful that, yes, my feet have a lot of issues, but they also carry me every day across the land. So I think just like I keep those things in mind and remember that there is a brighter future ahead and that I do have the capability to improve. What's up, Morning Shakeout listeners? I am your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Danae Doremi. Danae is a runner and podcast host from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been mentoring her for the past few months as she's been preparing to launch her show, The Grounded Podcast with Danae Doremi, which debuts this week wherever you listen to audio content. Danae's podcast is really unique, and it's going to fill a big hole in the running podcast space as she explores the intersection of running, culture, land, and community through long-form conversations with runners of all backgrounds and ability levels. Her voice is a needed one, and I'm excited to amplify it a bit in this week's episode. Danae, who is a citizen of the Navajo Nation, grew up in a running crazy household. Her dad ran at the University of Colorado and is a successful high school coach in New Mexico. Her mom is a lifelong runner as well, and running has been a huge part of Danae's life for as long as she can remember. In this conversation, we spoke about the idea for her podcast and when and how she decided to make it a reality. Danae also told me about what it was like growing up in a running household, how her own relationship to the sport has evolved over the years, and how running helps her connect to the land. We also talked about opening up more connection points for runners within the sport, diversifying the voices we hear from, and a lot more. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Growing up in Massachusetts, I drove past the New Balance headquarters on the Mass Pike all the time. Still do, in fact. When I go home and visit family and friends, it's right there on the side of the highway. And after college, I competed for New Balance Boston, which is now the Battle Road Track Club prior to moving to California. Bottom line, this is a brand that I grew up around and whose products I've trusted and used consistently over the years. In fact, in 2020, the New Balance Fresh Foam 1080 V10 was my favorite trainer and the model that I logged the most miles in throughout the year. And I run in a lot of different shoes. I was recently able to get my hands on a pair of the new 1080 V11s, and I was shocked to love them even more than I did last year's V10 model. New Balance claims the 1080 offers the ultimate ride, and I'd have to agree. 
It's the best fitting shoe that I own, and the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet. It's lightweight and flexible, but it's also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do in them. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. So check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com later this week and consider adding a pair to your rotation. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Danae Doremi. All right, Danae Doremi, we have gotten to know each other a little bit over the past few months, which we'll talk about here in a bit. But a lot of people listening to this might be meeting you for the first time. So why don't we start with a brief introduction? Yeah. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Mario, for having me on your show. Uh, my name is Danae Dormi. I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation. I was born and raised here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so that's where I'm based. I am currently the Associate Director of College Horizons, which is a national nonprofit that supports Native students through the college application process, but I am also the host of an upcoming running podcast uh, through the Tracksmith Fellowship called Grounded with Danae Dormy. So I'm really excited to be here today and talk to you a little bit about what I've been up to and uh, what we've been chatting about. <laughs> so let's just dive right into it there. Your podcast, Grounded with Danae Dormy, launches this week everywhere. We'll be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places that you can consume audio content. When did the idea for this show first come to you? About, I would say, a year ago. So it was well before the Tracksmith Fellowship became available to apply to online. And so this is pre-pandemic. I was actually going through a half marathon training cycle last winter, I guess, 2019, 2020, kind of that New Year's time. And mm -hmm. I was getting back, I think, back into my running swing for the first time in a year or two. I, I think I got a little um, out of running for a bit. And I was finding a lot of inspiration being back home. I had previously lived on the East Coast for seven years. So I had come back home to New Mexico. I was feeling super connected to just family, community, the land around me and realizing that running has just been what I'm passionate about outside of the work that I do in higher education. And it's something that I was doing a lot of speaking about in regards to land acknowledgements, in regards to just recognition of indigenous runners. Um, so and my dad, of course, is a local high school track and field coach. So running has just been a huge part of my life for a long time. And, and then as someone who comes from a Navajo background and culture, it's extremely important to me and my family in that way as well. So I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about that. But this has all been brewing for a while. And essentially, 
when the pandemic started, running was really all I had, which I think so many people can probably relate to. And and I know some people maybe had some trouble getting out there for runs because it, it was just difficult to nail down a routine. But for me, running was my outlet. It was the only thing I really could do. I have taken quarantine very seriously. I am a high-risk individual because I have a pretty severe asthma. So I think for me, it was just all about staying inside and also when I, when I could, going outside to stay in shape because that keeps my asthma at bay. It keeps me a little bit healthier and safer in that sense. So I was just, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was feeling really, really uh, inspired by the conversations I was hearing on, on my own runs. And I was just realizing like, man, I am not hearing from a lot of indigenous runners here. But I think more importantly, the few times that I did listen to indigenous runners, I didn't find that I was learning a whole lot from those podcast episodes and it wasn't necessarily the fault of the host. It was just that there wasn't any indigenous hosted or indigenous run content out there for me to really consume or listen to or be inspired by. And I think I just saw this gap in the industry where I realized, you know, if, if it's not out there, like, why shouldn't I do it? And I love that phrase. I, I'm a big listener of Allie on the Run as well. And, and she always says, why not me? And I think that's something that really stuck with me. And I, I thought, why not me? <laughs> why not me, uh, you know, to start a podcast and to, to be thinking about a project like this? And, and it was kind of fate that in the middle of the summer, you know, I was in the middle of a running streak. I, had, I, was, I went for, I think, 40 some days, which is unusual for me. I like my rest time. <laughs> and I was feeling really amped on running and Tracksmith dropped their fellowship. And I thought, wow, this is a, this is honestly a message. Like this feels um, like something that I have to do. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. I was also really nervous that I wouldn't get it. I think for me as someone who is a slower paced um, runner, I haven't necessarily struggled to define myself as a runner, but I certainly feel a little insecure about the fact that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily follow in my dad's uh, footsteps of being like a collegiate runner or anything like that. And so sometimes I struggle to find my place in the community a little bit. And I was just thinking, I don't know if they're going to find my project interesting. And I really actually dragged my feet on it. And it was just the two days before um, the fellowship deadline that my partner, um, who also runs a, a bit as well and is also Navajo, he, he was like, no, your voice is needed. And I, I think I needed that push at the time. And he sat down with me and we, we had a couple of beers on our kitchen table. <laughs> and we just, you know, I, well, really, I plotted out the entire project. And he kind of just cheered me along um, while I was there. And I bounced some ideas off of him. And, and I just kind of solidified it and made it real. And it was super empowering to write my ideas down on paper. And I think that's when I knew, okay, this is the right thing um, to apply to. So yeah, I was super excited about it. And I went through the process for a few months, went through a couple interviews. And I'm so grateful that Tracksmith did um, select my project to be uh, one of the ones that they were going to fund. And yeah. <laughs> and from my end, it's been really fun working with you in a mentorship role as you've learned just the ins and outs of, of podcasting, the mechanics of it, what's involved helping your show kind of take shape. But take me back to that time when you were sitting at your kitchen table with your partner and you were writing out these ideas, what were those initial ideas that you put down on paper? 
That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think, f- first of all, I wrote down indigenous podcast, just straight up two words. I was like, I know I want this podcast to uplift other indigenous runners like me, but I also um, wrote down land connection. That was a huge Mm -hmm. one for me because if anyone knows me, um, they probably know that I am really passionate about recognizing the lands that we um, live on and and the lands that non-indigenous people also occupy every day. And I think that there is a lot of erasure of, in, of you know, long-standing indigenous nations in this, uh, you know, across the United States that don't get recognized really. And running is arguably the sport that benefits most from the land. I, I've always said that it's, you know, we need land to run on and train on every day. And many people run outside and, and maybe don't consider the history of the land that they occupy or the indigenous nations that have continued to steward that land and are still, um, you know, their present day. So I think for me, because I was raised in Navajo culture, I was also taught that running is one of the primary ways that I, um, you know, connect with the land. And it's one of the things that I try to do on a really regular basis. Maybe it can't be daily for me, but um, just because of like chronic injuries and stuff, but I try to run as much as I can and get outside because if you can, you know, go for a run, to the east and and greet the sun in the morning as a Navajo person, that is said to be the time that the holy people can identify you. So for me, when I was brainstorming for the podcast, I knew that those themes were ones I wanted to share and talk about, but also be able to do in a casual setting, right, with other Indigenous athletes. I think so many times as Indigenous people, we find ourselves maybe in professional settings as the only Indigenous person in the room uh, or conversation. And I think when that's the case, you do a whole lot more teaching than you do um, conversing or learning. And that was the case for me in almost in a lot of the things I did college. um, Anytime I left home for any, um, any type of, you know, any, any initiative. And then of course um, a lot of professional settings. Now where I am, I work with, all um, all Native women, actually, at the nonprofit I'm at here in New Mexico. but So it's a totally different space. But I think I've had enough experiences as the only Indigenous person in the room that I knew I wanted to cultivate uh, a digital, you know, space for Native people to be themselves. Um, and then, of course, I'm a running nerd. So one of the first things I did was actually make a, a list of people I wanted to have on the podcast uh, and and place that as a part of the fellowship as well as sort of dream big. Um, you know, I wanted to talk to some of my favorite pro runners and see how they saw themselves in relationship to their communities and their, um, you know, homes and where they come from. And so, um, if they're, you know, non-Indigenous, of course, there's also some professional runners I'm talking to who are Indigenous. So I was just so immediately excited by how much, um, you know, how many rich conversations could come from this type of project. And and I knew that it was something that, you know, I haven't been able to find, at least in my search for podcasts and content and um, running inspiration. So, yeah. I love it because as runners, I think for better or worse, we end up siloing ourselves. And a lot of the conversations that we listen to on podcasts or interviews that we read, they're pretty similar. And I'm guilty as charged uh, to some degree. I try to be a little bit different in my approach, but 
competitive mm-hmm. runners want to hear about splits and place and training. Um, I like digging into to people's stories, but I think this topic of the connection to the land is something that all runners, especially those of us who are not indigenous should be more aware of and should be paying more attention to because if I had to guess, I'd say probably most runners are running outside um, and not on their treadmill most of the time. Like you're, you're in nature and you are on land. And, and I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I, I never paid much attention in the past, not until we started to have conversations about mm-hmm. your podcast a few months ago to where I was running and the history of the land and who occupied it. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm interested, like as a, as a native person, can you explain a little bit more why this is important, especially for, for those of us who are, are non-indigenous people, why we need to better understand and acknowledge the land that we're occupying. Yeah. And I will, and I will also, I guess, backtrack a little bit to correct you in saying occupied as a past tense, because Mm -hmm. I think so many people have a tendency just to offhandedly uh, portray indigenous people as being situated in the past, right? Like I want to learn who occupied these lands is such a loaded sentence because, which I hear a lot, I hear it from a lot of people. And it's something that I point out because there is likely still an indigenous community where you are, whether you're running indoors or outdoors, right? You are a guest on somebody's homeland unless you are indigenous to that area. Um, Pretty much anywhere in the world that you go, there's going to be indigenous populations. And so I think it's important for people to recognize and understand that that's, you know, maybe how their family ended up in a, in a specific place that, that, that they're benefiting honestly from the erasure of an indigenous community in, uh, you know, any setting really. I just really want people to be more educated. And I think that running can be a really good way to do that. And, and a really intriguing way to talk to your family and kids, right, about where you're from and whose lands you occupy. And I think the American education system doesn't do such a great job about teaching indigenous histories and the and how this country, you know, was quote unquote founded. Um, A lot of that came from genocide and erasure and and removal from lands. And so a lot of our tribes have, have this in our history and, and it is something that we acknowledge and, and we, we as indigenous people, or at least myself, um, you know, I acknowledge that I come from a resilient people and my community has been there for generations, continuing to teach me these traditions and we're not in the past, right? Like I'm a present day contemporary person. And I think that so many people have conceptions of indigeneity that's wrapped up in stereotypes, right? You see sports mascots, you see us on sticks of butter, which luckily was recently removed. Um, and we're starting to see some of those things get dealt with. And uh, after years and years of advocacy from indigenous organizations, activists, grassroots um, groups, but it's taken a long time. And because that is the perception that people have of indigenous people, I think it's it can only help if you're educated about 
where you are, what you can do in your local community to connect with other people. And I think it's just what a great way to do it through running. That's always been my uh, goal is to get people to see this through the lens of running because it's been such a huge way that I've learned about myself and my own culture and a huge way that I've learned to express myself as well. So um, that's something that I would really like to get across in the podcast and, and share with other people. Well, thank you for correcting me and educating me. And this is why these conversations are important and why shows like yours are important because there is, for various reasons, a lack of education and awareness out there. And the more we can bring it to light and talk about it, I think the better off we can all be as members of the running community, but just in general, wherever it is that we live here in the United States. Yeah. And I, and I think I hope to uh, actually avoid over defining things and over educating, I guess. I don't even know if that's a term, but I certainly know that as an indigenous person, a lot of my um, role in conversations has been to teach. And that's something that I, um, I have shared a lot about and I'm always open to teach and share, but in the podcast, I'm hoping for, like I said, that to be a comfortable space where if there's an indigenous athlete that I'm interviewing, I actually want them to have the space to talk more about, um, those running nerd elements, right? Their splits, their training on top of, um, themes around maybe land connection or their cultural heritage or traditions or their family background, because I think those things oftentimes go hand in hand. And I'm learning that in some of the conversations that I'm already having um, with Indigenous athletes, that those cultural traditions and those family values are things that they integrate into their training and into their sport. And those things can't be separated. It's a very intersectional thing. And so when you go on other shows or you do other interviews, I think in my case, I've had a lot of people ask me to tell them all about my culture, right? Tell them all about what it means to be indigenous. But oftentimes it can just, it can get exhausting for sure, <laughs> but it can also feel like no one's interested in any other element of you. So it, it can be frustrating in a way because you're like, wow, yeah, I'm really, I'm really proud to be a Navajo person. And I, it'll always be central to my identity. And it's something I'm very open and, and loud about. But on top of that, I also want people to know that I'm not one dimensional because that's another stereotype of um, indigenous people that I think I've encountered. And, and so that's a big one that I would really like to break down in this show and in the conversations I'm having. Let's put a pin in that because I want to follow up on it. But what you just said and what didn't jump out to me until just now listening to you describe what you want your approach to these conversations to be. I mean, the running nerdery aspect of it for people listening to a show like mine, I mean, that's that's going to resonate no matter no matter who you are um, and what your background is. I think as, as runners, like we all have a lot of, like we all have our own quirks, but there are common quirks that are very consistent um, amongst, you know, amongst runners. And I think hearing about that from someone who grew up in a different place than you, who has different traditions than you, and who just has a different connection to the sport than you can, can help show like 
the the two sides of it, the side of it that that is the same. Like, hey, these are the things that we share um, around the sport that we love. Mm-hmm. But here is how my connection to it is just different uh, and is unique, and that's okay, just as yours is. Um, and we're, I don't know if I'm articulating this correctly, but like, you know, we have a different relationship to running or our own unique relationship to running, but that's the same between us. Exactly. It's, we all have things that we find connection over in running. And I think I just want to open up more connection points for both indigenous and non-indigenous athletes, because also I'm not interviewing all Navajo people, right? I hope to interview indigenous athletes from all different nations. So even within uh, the native community, the broader native community, um, there's, tons of different tribal nations. Like I wouldn't even refer to a broader native community. Usually I would refer to somebody specifically by their, their home community and, and their affiliation. Um, so I think there's a lot of diversity to be explored there as well. And different tribes and uh, communities have different relationships with running. And I, I know what mine is as a Navajo person and what traditions I've, um, you know, learned as a Navajo person, but I, I really hope that it can expose non-Indigenous runners to the diversity of, um, you know, Indian country, but also, and even beyond uh, across the world, there's many Indigenous populations as well. And I hope to have some conversations with folks uh, internationally eventually. But I also hope to find, like you said, some of those running nerd uh, connections with other people and allow um, athletes from, I think, underrepresented backgrounds to just have a moment to breathe and talk about their experience as an athlete in training, like what they're doing, what they're up to, because I think so many of those questions actually get missed and skirted around in a lot of um, just, you know, journalism, podcasting, whatever it may be, so that basically so that people can learn more, right, about their culture. We're often being used as vessels for education or for educating other people. And that's not that's not my sole purpose in life. Um, so I, I do hope to educate. I hope that it is a really informative and insightful podcast for anyone listening. But I'm not going to bend over backwards probably to to educate and, like I said, define every single term, because I do think there is some work to be done on on the back end of like, you know, if you have a, a curiosity, it's important to also utilize your resources at hand so that, you know, Native people, people of color, people of underrepresented backgrounds aren't constantly having to explain. But I think... Um, those connection points are going to be a really natural part of the podcast. And I've already heard some of them come out where even I'm finding um, points of relation (laughs) with, you know, people who are pro runners. I'm obviously an average pace runner and I'm thinking, okay, we, you know, we have the same pre pre race routine or we also value this. And I think that those are, those are really fun parts of the conversation for me too, because I did, I grew up in a, in a household with a coach and a, a former collegiate athlete and my dad. And I think that, instilled in me this real um this real curiosity around sport and and what it takes to to be professional in it and i think those are really interesting pieces of conversation for me as well yeah and those conversations are important because i mean my main mission with this show is to let people who are listening to this understand through 
these conversations that they're listening to that we have more in common than we do different. And right. if we can zoom out even further from that beyond just running, just think of how much better off we'd all be as a society if we could hear more of those conversations and come to that realization. Yeah, normalizing those conversations is definitely important and I think very needed. And I I hope that more women of color start podcasts and and I hope to hear from athletes of different backgrounds. And I've I've had honestly so much support from a lot of podcasters in the community and I feel very uh I, I would say welcomed and obviously you've been a huge help for me. Um so you know, I feel really optimistic about what what I will be hopefully able to do in the community and and really want people to just see the amazing, talented, multidimensional athletes, um, you know, of all backgrounds that are out there. Well, I have no doubt that it will make a difference for all the reasons that you just described. And as you just said, I hope it does inspire more underrepresented people to start podcasts write for publications, create their own outlet where they can share these stories that need to get out. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's a healthy thing for, you know, for running just as, as a whole, if we can share more perspectives and get more of these stories out there from different voices. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to the pin that I put in the conversation a little while ago. One thing I'm curious about is how you balance living in the modern world while still staying connected to your Navajo roots and traditions. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a misconception that Navajo, you know, traditions are something that aren't keeping up with the modern world because mm-hmm. I think we I come from a, I would say, very fluid culture. And while some things are things that have been passed down for generations, I would say Navajo people around me, whether friends, family, other Navajo people I uh, know, are constantly adapting our traditions and finding new ways to to, um, express those and, and use those in our everyday life as people, you know, today, just as any of our ancestors have done in any of, you know, their, whatever their contemporary times were. So I think it's important to, to know that, you know, Navajo traditions, at least for me, I've always seen them as, as fluid and as flexible, um, you know, to an extent. And I think that for me, like I said, it, I always learned running as a traditional, a traditional thing that you know, I should be partaking in in the morning. I'm supposed to be, or maybe supposed to isn't the right word, but that I would normally be greeting the sun and um, maybe yelling even to make myself known to the holy people and um, maybe running in moccasins so that I'm also recognized in that way uh, or turquoise um, because that's another way the holy people can recognize us as Navajo um, people or Diné people. And so I think 
for me, that's not realistic every day, right? And it's a tradition that was passed down to me, but I obviously have a work schedule. And so I think I think I totally understand your question in that sense. It, I have to learn to not be hard on myself and remember that no one can take my indigeneity away from me, right? Like I'm indigenous no matter what. I know what my clans are. I know who claims me and what nation I claim. And that's really important to keep in mind all the time because there are certainly moments that will test you. I think even within your own tribal community, there may be differing opinions on what is right or wrong in terms of your traditions. And everyone's families, even regionally, it may vary, at least again, in my case, in the Navajo, um, larger Navajo community across the reservation, um, different parts of the reservation even may say certain words differently or spell certain things differently because the language was written at a different time or something like that. And so um, my family's traditions might totally differ from another Navajo person who grew up in a slightly different place or their families from a different area, or they're from a different different, um, you know, clan or something like that. And so for me, it's just important that I remember that I'm doing my best and I'm trying to balance these things. Um, I know one of, one big thing I've had to deal with is um, a lot of Navajo people will observe um, the eclipses that happen, like the celestial eclipses. And um, in my case, I usually try not to go outside, not to be drinking um, anything during that time, not to really be eating. Um, it's really a time of like reflection and prayer. And that was really, really challenging when I um, was working in a, in a non-native environment. I used to be an admissions officer at Yale University. And during those years where I was reading applications, there would be eclipses like happening um, during uh, reading season. <laughs> and I'm trying to like read applications and I would have to actually take a day off in order to uh, observe that. And so certain traditions like that, I think can be sometimes difficult, but again, it's always important to, to just, you know, be yourself. And I, I try to be as non-judgmental as possible of other people who are trying to find their way and um, under, and try to, you know, create that balance in their life. I've found personally a lot more balance since I moved back home because I'm closer to my family. I also, like I said, work for a nonprofit now that is Native Women Run. And it has made a huge difference because our office is a mix of... Um, of people who are Navajo, of people who are of various Pueblos here in New Mexico. And because we have tribal diversity in our office, you know, we all understand that we have different things to um, observe and mark on our calendars. And it's totally normal. You know, I don't have to face any weird looks. I don't have to face any judgment. I don't have to face any questions um, or anything like that. And I think that that I don't have to explain anything. <laughs> and I think that's a really been a healthy environment for me is to just make sure that that I feel like I'm in a balanced space so that I can do as much as possible to keep myself grounded and connected in my traditions because it isn't easy every day to apply them. But I do like to, to just keep in mind that it's fluid and our ancestors were constantly evolving and adapting to the world around them just like I do today. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Let's hit rewind. I want to go back to your beginnings. You mentioned how your dad ran collegiately and has been a coach for many years. I know that your mom was also a competitive runner. What are your first memories of 
running having some presence in your life? Yeah, it's so funny. My first memory of running, I think, was this race that my parents used to run. It was a midnight run. It was so fun. (laughs) And I was a really little kid. And they used to take me to races all the time. So my parents were total running nerds and still are. And when I was a baby, they were, you know, just entering races, I I would say on a monthly basis, they were constantly run. We probably went to run as a family, or at least I would maybe hang out and they would take turns running on like a local trail. Um, five nights a week, I want to say. But one of my first memories was going to this really fun midnight race that used to happen in Albuquerque. And they had me uh, stand with one of our good family friends who who I, uh, who I really like trusted, obviously, and, and would hang out with a lot. And so I waited with our family friend while my parents raced this. I, I want to say it was a mile. I don't think this race exists anymore in Albuquerque, but it was at midnight. It was in the summer. It was so cool. And I remember that being a really important moment for me because I thought, this is really awesome. <laughs> and my parents are so fast. And I was so amazed with what they were doing. And that is probably my earliest memory of seeing anyone run, actually. And then as I started to get a little older, um, just even in my childhood still, I started to listen more to things my mom and dad would tell me about just being a Navajo person. And like my mom would always explain because my mom is is the parent that is Navajo. And so she would often explain to me just what running meant in some of our ceremonies and what running meant um, to me as a Navajo person at a pretty young age. And so I had a pretty good understanding of, of the fact that it was important to me personally in our household. But I also like went to practice with my dad every day. And he's been a track coach for over 30 years now. And he has won a state championship and he coaches at a major high school here in Albuquerque. And um, he's just had an a incredible career and sent so many athletes on to um, be collegiate division one, you know, athletes. And so watching that from a young age and being sort of on his hip, he'd always give me a stopwatch. He showed me how to score a track meet at a very young age and um, how to score a cross country meet. Think really random things to learn when you're like eight. <laughs> No, those are important life skills. I think every kid can learn how to score a cross country or track yeah, when they're when they're and, kids, but I may be biased. Yeah, and it's actually funny because I was like way too slow to ever succeed in track. I could kind of hold my own in cross country, but track I was not. I didn't I didn't excel in the middle distances and so track wasn't really my jam. And so in the track season, I actually was um an official scorekeeper for all the track meets in Albuquerque for a couple years in high school. So I actually know how to score a track meet um, pretty well. And those are very complex and takes a lot of math and a lot of quick thinking. But those types of experiences, um, was it's just what I grew up doing. And uh, I think I always had this really healthy relationship with running because it wasn't my primary sport. And I was a really serious basketball player in high school. My dad was my basketball coach. That was kind of what we were all in on. And I honestly thought I was going to go to college to play basketball basketball. And it was just what I had really dedicated my life to. And um, I ended up 
choosing an academic route and going to Yale instead, which I'm really grateful for. And I'm glad I made that decision, but it was pretty devastating for me to give up basketball. But all through that time, the one thing that actually stayed with me was running, which I don't think I expected because I had a pretty rough go of it in high school cross country. And I ran all four years as the seventh person on the varsity team, which I always say, if there's any seventh runners out there or whatever the like sort of quote unquote last spot on the team is, like, I feel you. Because it is really challenging to constantly fight for your spot on varsity and constantly have to wonder if you're, um, you know, contributing enough. And and we had a very talented team. So I was always like, oh, man, I got to get faster because we were winning district championships and things like that. And it was so hard to know that I needed to, to do a little bit better, you know, so that the team could uh, keep going and keep moving forward. Um, but it was also just kind of a relaxing space for me because I was like, you know what? I'm not the best here and that's okay. And it taught me a really good lesson in in just doing something for the love of it. And I think I was so serious about basketball that I really needed that other element in my life, balancing my love for sports and keeping it fun. And I think that was crucial. As a younger kid, was there ever any point when you asked your parents to take you for a run? Yeah, actually, they would just take me for a run. I didn't even have to ask. <laughs> My dad was pretty careful because he didn't want me to start running at a really early age. He wanted me to have fun with it and not worry about distance or time. He he didn't put a lot of pressure on me when I was a kid or anything. I think I did like one kid's fun run when I was a kid. But he really encouraged me to just be outside. That was his big thing is he wanted me to play outside. He wanted me to spend time outdoors. And so my parents used to jointly kind of get ready and put on their shoes and they would go running at basically the same time every night. We were creatures of habit. And I was an only child until I was 10. My parents didn't have my sister until I was 10. So it was kind of like we were a little team and we would pack up all of our stuff and we would go to this, um, there's kind of an urban two mile loop um, near our house, a trail around a golf course that is heavily packed with runners and walkers. And it was such a community center for me, even though it was all outdoors. And it was just really close to our house, only like a mile away. And I was so familiar with it. And like I said, we went there probably five nights a week. And I would always be playing, you know, with a basketball or I would be riding my bike or my dad would be teaching me how to throw or kick a football. Like I was just super active and that was really important to my dad. And eventually when I got a little bit older, closer to the end of elementary school, you know, my dad started asking me like, hey, do you want to run the first mile with me? You know, and he would like run a mile with me and loop me back to the car to, you know, hang out with my mom. And then he would go out for his longer run. So like my parents started slowly incorporating that into my routine and I loved it. And so I learned how to run totally on my own without music, without any other distractions, just sort of taking it in and running with my dad and with my mom. And that's something I still love to do. I go on runs with my dad all the time um, in non-COVID times. So definitely uh, something I'm missing now. You mentioned how when you were growing up, your mom taught you about the Navajo traditions and the relationship to running in your culture. What other lessons do you remember from your parents, whether it was your mom or your dad, about running that have stuck with you to this day? 
Yeah, I think my mom did a pretty good job of just being really normal about the fact that this was our culture, right? She didn't she didn't tell me that I was different or that, you know, anything like that. She made it a really normal part of my upbringing to just educate me about you know, where we came from and taught me how to introduce myself in my language at an early age, which I think for Navajo people um, is something you hear a lot because we have a clan system or kinship system um, where we introduce ourselves with our four clans oftentimes in new settings. So things like that, I think I remember her just really trying to, um, to, give me access to that information because I did grow up in Albuquerque, which is off the Navajo reservation and um, away from sort of our traditionally known homelands. And so, um, or within our, you know, four sacred mountains. And so my mom, I think did a good job of making sure that we went, we went home a lot to Fort Defiance, Arizona, which is where she's from, uh, or Tsehotsoi, if you um, speak Navajo. And it was a place that was important to me to visit because that is where my family's from. And ultimately that is where I'm from. And I always know like, this is where I'm from, but I was born and raised in Albuquerque. And so I kind of have that duality about, about um, my background as well. And so, yeah, I think she just did a really good job, uh, you know, letting me know all of that and, and exposing me to um, where she grew up. Because that was an important part of her upbringing, and and she learned to run in that area, right around her home on the reservation. And I think that those experiences she had were things that she did share with me. Um, and I think in in the case of my dad, my dad is actually also indigenous, but he grew up in a southern um, New Mexican town, a tiny little town named Tularosa, um, and he his family and our family is uh, also Yaki. And so we have um, another sort of side of us that I, I don't culturally identify with as much because I, I try not to claim a community that I haven't been brought up in or brought up with a lot of knowledge about. And that's something that I'm definitely still working on. I was very much raised to know my Navajo culture and traditions. Um, but I also recognize that I, I come from a Yaki family as well. And so I think for my dad, he shared a lot of the same beliefs and that running is the best way to get to know the place around you and your home. And I think finding that daily routine with my mom and my dad and having that just daily run spot was such a such a great thing to to have throughout my life because one of the things I did when I moved home is I still run in that same area and around you know where I grew up in these on these streets and um you know in the in the nearby urban trails and and sometimes you know in the foothills or areas outside of Albuquerque and this is really where I know and I think it has been so inspiring and powerful for me to come back home and apply some of those early lessons again and remember um you know, just some good memories I've had with my parents. And and I love running with my dad. I think he's just always taught me that running is also a way to spend time with your family. And that was something I just kind of soaked in as I was like, yeah, this is a family activity. Like this is something we all do together and it brings us together. And I, I just really appreciate that they've kind of given me that gift. <laughs> your dad ran collegiately still coaches today. He instilled this sense of running nerdery in you. To what bounds does your running nerdery extend? When you went to college, did you follow the sport? Is a sport 
and the athletes who participate in it something that you've always been interested in or has that evolved over the years? That's a great question. I think it's evolved a little bit. I definitely keep up with the sport and I always had. My dad took me to a couple Olympic trials growing up. Um, We usually tried to get to the NCAA um, championships as well. So I've traveled with my dad even well before college to several major meets and would always text him and talk to him about stuff. And like I said, I've been basically shadowing him as a coach for so long that I... I feel like I have a pretty good understanding actually of what it takes to run a team. Um, so I think I've always followed uh, my favorite athletes and I've, I'm a huge fan of, of Colorado, obviously. And so my dad, um, because he ran there, just the whole legacy of running with the Buffaloes, I think I've always followed, um, you know, my favorite runners are, are pretty much Kara Goucher, Emma Coburn and Jenny Simpson. So it's like, I, I, maybe that's cliche, but I was like, who doesn't love them? But I think to watch those women really compete when I was coming of age was so important to me. And, and they're, you know, they're still doing amazing things, uh, in their careers, um, whether that's competing, um, still, or, you know, professionally in a different sense. And I've followed their careers to this day, along with a lot of other athletes. And, and I'm lucky too, in Albuquerque, we get a lot of good track here. Um, just before the pandemic, we had the, US uh, indoors. And, yeah, we had the U S indoor meet. And so, um, that was actually the last running event I went to and I met Shalane Flanagan there, um, <laughs> which I was super excited about because she's one of the only people that I've ever encountered that has the same um, or has had the same issues um, as me with accessory navicular um you know, bones in her feet and she had a surgery for it. And so honestly, I just went right up to her and I talked to her about it and she was super nice. And that was one of my last memories of pre-COVID times was actually being at that indoor meet. So yeah, all through high school, my dad and I would spend all of our winter weekends, every weekend, like clockwork, we would go to the indoor meet here in Albuquerque because they would have smaller ones as well before they usually hosted some of the major national ones at our convention center. So if you're a track fan, Albuquerque is actually not a bad place to be. Um, we also have really good competitive high school track. We host a huge meet here, the Great Southwest Track Meet. And um, that's a great place to see up and coming, um, co- like basically collegiate athletes, because they're usually outgoing high school seniors competing in that. And it's, it's a meet my dad helped organize for several years. So I used to run the registration table there with him. And I've I've been to it every year since I can remember. So I think him exposing me to all of those things was really instrumental in me understanding um, just the landscape of professional running, collegiate running. And I kept up with it um, through college. I didn't get to too many track meets in college. I was a pretty busy college student, but what I did do is I kept up a little more with basketball. And so I think because I was dealing with some grief over losing basketball when I went on to college, I ended up writing um, some articles for the Yale Daily News. And I was the I was briefly the basketball women's basketball beat reporter for the Yale Daily News. So I think just being able to communicate with the team and get their quotes every night and um, cover their games was a really great outlet for me and and helped me uh, quench my thirst, I think, for uh, sports. And I was really missing that. And I played a lot of IM sports in in college as well. And I was captain of like the intramural team and um, played club basketball at Yale. And so 
I had like, I was able to dabble in things here and there that kept me happy. Uh, but I think running took a little bit of a backseat during that time. And then it was really at the end of college, I started um, paying a little more attention and following some of the pros a little bit more. Talk to me a little bit more about your relationship with the practice of running while you were at Yale and navigating all of these things that you just talked about not being on the basketball team, playing intramurals, being away from home. Were you, were you trying to run with any intention or any regularity or was the navicular issue keeping you from, you know, from getting into that a little bit more? I'd love to just understand what that relationship looked like while you were in college and away from home. Yeah. So even though I wasn't as tapped into maybe um, professional or collegiate running during those four years I was in college, um, I used running as my number one outlet. I really, really leaned on running during that time. And I actually think in a way that is that those years really sparked what I'm doing now, I think later down the road, because it was those years that I probably struggled the most with my just sense of self. It was really, it really rocked my world to leave New Mexico and go to New Haven, Connecticut. Um, I'm lucky I went to a pretty, I just went to a big inner city, like diverse high school. So I had, I had exposure to like many different types of people. Um, but it was still just a huge culture shock from New Mexico, like different food, different weather. Um, in New Mexico, I think it's pretty common to meet and be in community with other native folks. And so mm-hmm. I was used to being around my family, um, my friends. I might've been the only native kid in some of my classes, but I had other native friends, you know, and I had a community here and I had my family nearby. So to go to Connecticut and have people tell me, you know, straight to my face, you're the first native person I've ever met in my life. I think it was really like shocking. And <laughs> I I didn't really know how to deal with it at first. And, and honestly, this is all why I work with native students transitioning to college now, because it was pretty difficult initially. And I didn't do so well my freshman year. I did okay, but I didn't do super well. And I didn't you know, thrive in the way I think I wanted to, um, because it took me a while to find my bearings. And I really leaned on the Native American Cultural Center and the community on campus there of Native students. Even though it was small, it was really necessary. And, um, but the experiences were still hard. You know, when you only have a few Native students on a campus, that you just never feel like anyone really understands you. So then maybe you've only got, you know, a handful of friends in that sense, and you might find a couple of mentors or good professors, but, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty difficult to navigate. Um, so I think for me, I really held on to my dad's teachings around running being the best way to connect with the space around you. And I think that's why I'm so curious how other people connect, um, you know, to where the communities that they inhabit through running because for me, I really learned um, that area, which is uh, Quinnipiac ancestral lands, um, but New Haven, as many people know it. Um, I really learned that area by running it. And I I ran that whole city. I will tell you that. (laughs) I ran all the time in college. Anytime I had a quick break of class, I was running. If you 
you know, could catch me on a Friday afternoon when classes were done, my favorite thing to do was just like take some alone time, go back to my room, um, lace up my shoes and go for like a really long run up to East Rock Park, which if anyone knows New Haven knows that that's pretty much the main area that you go run. And it's very woodsy, very different terrain than what I was used to at home. I couldn't find dirt anywhere. And that was really hard for me. Um, I think for me as someone who was raised to have such a I think a, a real value, like a cultural value and in the land, like it, I was taught to respect it and to um, acknowledge it as a being, right? Like it matters like just as much as I do. And I, I give to the land, the land gives to me. So when I got to New Haven, I think I needed it. I mean, really, that's, I, I think that to, I guess, to be blunt, I just really needed to be outside and I needed to like breathe fresh air and I would constantly blow off steam or just like, I had to like drop a class my freshman year and like I wasn't doing so well academically. And I later like figured all of that stuff out, but that, that first year was really hard for me. And I think I, I really leaned on just having that time to myself. I often, um, just tried to be by myself. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't ask other people to go for runs with me because I knew the area was pretty populated, but I was able to just, just zone out and think about my family and, and use that running as a time for reflection. When you went back to Albuquerque, whether it was on break or over the summer, or eventually when you moved back permanently, which I know was after college, how did your relationship with your family, your community back in New Mexico and the land itself change? Yeah, you know, I think I always knew I wasn't going to stay on the East Coast. I moved out there for college and loved my time there, but I knew, you know, pretty early on, like, okay, I was, I was born for my homelands in my area. Like this is where I belong. And so I, I enjoyed those experiences, but, um, but I knew I needed to be back home with my community. And that move was actually prompted by a lot of the work I was able to do in the admissions office. I was the native um, recruiter and, and the native recruitment coordinator, as well as just a regular assistant director of undergraduate admissions. So that meant I traveled a lot and I, and I met a lot of native students and families in their own communities and homelands. And as as fun and amazing as that opportunity was um, to meet all those people, I felt like I was really like just longing for my own home. And I could, I was interacting with a lot of native kids and um, just doing a lot of that traveling was wearing on me. And I, I, I think admissions is a very isolating job because you're constantly reading and you're often alone and um, you're just, it's just you and your computer, you know, and it's pretty, it's pretty confidential work too. So it's not something I really ha had the ability to talk to other people about other than my colleagues. So it was just an isolating experience. And I think after that, it just, it made the most sense for me to come back home. And the way I was able to do that was actually getting um, in touch with College Horizons, which is the organization I work for. It's a high school program that supports Native students in their college application process. And it's the program I did in high school. So it was very important to me that I was having this full circle moment and that I was able to um, secure a job at College Horizons, this very tiny nonprofit, um, because I knew I needed to be with other Native people and I needed to be with my family. And once I made that jump, 
I felt so much better about myself and so much centered and um, so much more centered. And I think it, it actually, it helped me open up my running again. Cause like I said, I leaned on running through college and then it took a little bit of a backseat during my time in admissions, even though I was still running through that time. Again, the stressful work environment made it just really difficult to get out for a run. Um, so trained for a couple of things there, but you know, I, I didn't, it was, it was hard. And so coming back home, I was like, so my eyes were open again. I think it was really natural to be back in, um, lands that I were, I was familiar with. Um, just even as simple as running with my dad again meant a lot to me to be able to like jump in a 5k with my dad and you know see who was faster that day I think that was like really fun for me again and I felt like oh like somebody around me loves running again like I have a community back because I never really connected with a running community in New Haven so again it was just yet another isolating experience (laughs) so I think um that that relationship with my community at home, it just strengthened. Um, and I think it reminded me of where I came from and how much I appreciate being raised in New Mexico um, near my family. I think I think Albuquerque, you know, it, it's an interesting city. It's it's not always an easy place to grow up. It's pretty it's pretty diverse, but a lot of people have this conception of it being like Breaking Bad, the TV show, right? Lots of drugs, lots of crime, things like that. And that's um, I think Albuquerque is very diverse, but you know, I don't, li- I, I grew up in like a pretty low income family and, you know, we had a small house and, and it was fine. Like, I think it was important for me to remember where I came from in a positive light and know that that is the place that raised me. And so a lot of people in high school were constantly talking about how they wanted to get out of Albuquerque. But for me, when I came home, I was like, this is exactly where I want to be and need to be. And I want to serve my community because it's what feels right for me. Is that going to be an ongoing mission for you moving forward in some capacity? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm looking to, you know, continue to serve native people in some way. And I, right now I love, I love the work that I do with College Horizons and supporting native students and their families in a way that, um, where I can really see our impact. I mean, we really work one-on-one with these students and help them get, um, get their college pathway set up. And I think that that's just really empowering work. I, I've, I've never felt so fulfilled. Um, so I think right now it's important to me that I'm based here in New Mexico and, um, being close to Navajo homelands was important. My partner's also Navajo. So we really bring a lot of that into our own lifestyle and household. And we make it a priority to um, just, you know, see our family, talk to our families, um, bring culture into our home. And we just really hope to, to keep doing that. In the remaining time that we have here, I want to shift the conversation back toward your relationship with running. Earlier, you mentioned how at times you've struggled to find your place as a runner, and I'd love to dig into that a little bit more with you. What did you mean when you said that you had a hard time finding your place as a runner? I think initially when I started running cross-country, it was just for the fun of it. And I didn't think a lot about anything. And as I, as I got older, I started to recognize that running, I think in, in an adult sort of mainstream professional sense, the running industry, if you will, 
was very, very white and, and looked, or at least looked very white to me and looked very, um, just one dimensional. Like, I think for me, I, that's what I saw initially, obviously it's so much more than that. And I've, I've found a great community here, but I think once I started running again after college, um, and I, and I had the opportunity to really throw myself into, um, the running community on social media and stuff like that, I realized like, oh, okay, I get, I'm, I'm a larger bodied runner, which is a term that I, uh, I'm kind of stealing from my nutritionist, Starla Garcia, and um, she's helped me work through a lot of these things because I am just like a naturally bigger person. And I it's challenging to like find running clothes and find the right shoes for me because I have accessory navicular syndrome and I'm constantly getting flare ups from that. And I think to grow up in a household that values running so much where my dad was running at such a, a highly competitive level who, and he had like no mechanical issues right <laughs> of course like some something happened in the, in the gene pool for you, me you didn't get those I, genes I yeah. Did not get those. yeah um so my family always loves to laugh about that it's kind of like a joke um between all of us is so I did not inherit my dad's like very perfect running gait um but for me, I had like very flat feet. Um, you know, I'm a heavy overpronator. I like really, I think I struggle because of my asthma. It seemed like all the cards were stacked against me, essentially. When you add up all the barriers <laughs> um, in that sense, it just felt like that. But I think once I started framing it for myself instead of like, oh, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to feel sorry for myself about this because it, it is really hard. Like I had, I had a lot of years in there where I would cry sometimes because I would think to myself like, man, I just like can't get any faster. And I know anyone listening who's dealt with that, it's a really frustrating feeling to feel like you put a lot of work in to a training cycle or to a major goal. And then maybe you don't see the results that you want. Um, that was a really important like lesson for me. And I think I've really just been building my resilience since high school where, you know, it's just, it's not in the cards for me to be a professional runner and that's totally fine. And it's just taken me a long time to come to terms with the fact that like my running is valid and that I deserve, you know, all the same resources and access that other people do. Cause for me, I'm somebody who's been interested in acquiring a running coach. I'm working with a nutritionist now, like I mentioned, and I used to believe that I didn't deserve those things because I was a slower runner and I ran pretty average paces that for other people might be cool down times. Right. And so I think I stopped comparing myself to people and just understanding that like my running journey is valid. I've never struggled to actually call myself a runner. That's not been my insecurity. I, I know I've been, a, I know I've been a runner my whole life, but I've struggled to just feel like I deserved those tools and those, um, those things. So those are things I'm like chasing now. Cause I'm like, okay, you know, I, I do have a place in this community and, and my journey is valid and, and I still deserve to have goals and want to improve. So I'm looking more into how I can be the best, best version of myself. Which is going to help other people become the best versions of themselves. And to build off of that, what advice would you give to other runners who are listening to this who are struggling to find their place in the sport? I would say just to reflect on your 
experience while running and really use that that hopefully joy that you feel and exhilaration, but also exhaustion and other things and to find a place in your heart to be grateful for those things and to um, recognize that those things are building strength in you right now. Because that's something that I think I've learned is even if a run is super hard, like I probably, I got a lot of joy from that. So I try really hard to finish a run and always reflect on the fact that I either listen to some really like great music that really inspired me, or I had an awesome idea on that run, or I felt like I could, you know, smell the, the, the oncoming rainstorm, you know, that's brewing ahead. Like I really try to reflect on why I love running in the first place. And I'm, you know, I really, I'm not trying to be like cheesy and fluffy about it. Like I really love the actual physical action of running. (laughs) And I think that if you really love that, you will find a way to keep going because that's ultimately what's worth it. And, and I think, you know, if you are a a slower paced runner, um, you know, that's fine. Like I've learned to own my pace and recognize that I deserve to have goals. And even if, you know, that goal is, is knocking just a few seconds off of your mile pace or something like that. Um, and you're comparing yourself to others on Strava, like, just keeping in mind that it's your story and and it's all it's all about you in that moment and i think like in that sense that is where i try to center myself and remember that i'm really blessed to be able to do this and i'm really um grateful that yes my feet have a lot of issues but they also carry me every day across the land so <laughs> i think just like i keep those things in mind and remember that there is a brighter future ahead and that i do have um you know, I do have the capability to improve. So yeah. (laughs) You've got plenty on your plate between everything that you're doing professionally, your own running, I mean, launching your podcast this week, but I think you'd make a great coach. Have you ever thought of following in your dad's footsteps and getting into coaching someday? (laughs) Just listening to you talk about (laughs) all of this. And we haven't even talked about X's and O's of training and that's a whole separate discussion, but just the way that you talk about your own experience and the evolution of your relationship with running and what it is that you're focusing on. These are the things that athletes, whether they are world beaters or they're just getting into the sport need to hear. Yeah. I, it's so funny. You are like the hundredth person to ask me this. <laughs> um, my, my passions have largely been in higher ed, but I think it's always been a real passion of mine to work with other people around sports. So yes, I've definitely thought about what it would mean to be a coach someday, um, whether that's working with young people at a high school level, like my dad or working with, um, with, you know, everyday runners like me. I'm not sure really yet what my future holds, but I have certainly thought about that because I've, I've had trouble like in seeking a coach, like, okay, how, how is this going to line up? Cause I've had the luxury of having my dad help me out with a lot of my running over the years. He's made training plans for me and, and given me a lot of personal advice. And I've, I've had a lifetime of um, observing my dad And I think that's given me so much knowledge. And I do feel like in many ways, I'm like 
bursting with it and I have to share it at some point um, because it, you know, it's just what I love to do. So I've definitely thought about it and hopefully someday I'll be able to maybe coach other women that um, deal with some of the same things that I do or have the same philosophy. Um, but it certainly runs in the family. My grandpa was also a coach and a principal as well. So I think, um, I think in my family, it's something that's definitely encouraged. And I've watched my dad change athletes' lives through a lot of what he's done. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear it. I'm going to keep nudging you for what it's worth, but yeah. I'm, glad that you're, I'm glad that you're thinking yeah. about it in that way because I think you'd have a lot to offer other runners. Yeah. And just, and one like last point that I always, I love this little piece of information about my dad because it's been really crucial to my journey as a, as an athlete and as a female athlete is that my dad never saw women's sports as a stepping stone to a, another career. Right. I think a lot of times there's a lot of like women's coaches out there um, who who work really hard, but then there's like this this bigger dream of going to coach a men's team or something, or there's this different tier. And I've always really loved that my dad has just been really dedicated to women's athletics, and he's been such a great mentor to so many um, high school athletes as well. When he um, has had like several opportunities to coach at a different level, um, and he's just so dedicated to to the athletes that he serves and he's the athletic director also at the high school. So he loves all sports, but um, I think, I think that value like really sticks with me. Cause I'm like, yes, there is a career for me somewhere, maybe down the line in women's sports. Shifting to your own personal running goals. I know that you were prepping for the New York city marathon last fall <laughs> before it was canceled due to coronavirus. How did you navigate that on an emotional level? Because correct me if I'm wrong, that was going to be your first marathon. Yeah, it was. Um, I was super bummed about it. I think I think I had other things at the time when the announcement was made on my mind because, like I said, I, I serve Native students and so many of their communities were being hit hard by COVID, including mm -hmm. my own community on on the res. And so, like knowing that my grandma and some of my other family members are are out on the res and I couldn't get to them, they were actually on lockdown on the Navajo Nation, like right around the time that I got the announcement about New York City. So I was so distracted that I didn't even get to take it in initially. And I'm super glad it happened because of safety reasons. And I want, I want people to be safe. So I'm not, you know, I didn't try to harp on it too much, but it was definitely a, a little bit of a blow for me as a runner. <laughs> and I was really looking forward to it. And I had actually started fundraising. So I'm supposed to be running for um, the charity Girls Inc. and in New York City. And I was really looking forward to supporting their mission. Um, but I think I'm just trying to keep my head up and and wait for information on uh, the future of the New York City Marathon and, and hope that I can run um, it as soon as it's available again. I think I was really intimidated by the marathon distance. So in a way, maybe I'm crazy, but I breathed a little sigh of relief. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, I was really scared of that training process. And I guess now I don't have to do it. <laughs> um, but I'm kind of itching for it now. I'm like, I'm ready. I'm in this new year. I'm hoping, you know, with, with the optimism around the release of the vaccine. Like I'm trying to, you know, stay, stay, um, measured about it, but I'm, I'm getting a little more anxious. Like I really miss road racing. So I think so many of us do. Um, so I'm looking forward to that training cycle and hoping that maybe this time around I'll actually get a coach for it. Um, and, and just see like what my body's capable of. 
last question. What's exciting you in running right now, whether it's your own pursuits or in the sport in general? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about the podcast, of course, but I'm also really excited about some of the work I've seen uh, Jordan Murray Daniel doing. She, I'm a huge fan of hers, and she's uh, become a friend of mine just through the running kind of social media community. And she's launching a really cool native land initiative that I think she recently announced on Instagram, um, where she is urging race directors, anyone in the running industry nationally, to really start implementing meaningful land acknowledgements. And so I think she's released a toolkit around it um, for those who want to take advantage of that and learn what it means to um, cultivate community and really create a space for meaningful collaboration, right? It's not just a check. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not just a check mark to do a, a quick land acknowledgement beforehand and move along. It's like how can you incorporate the local native community into um, the race and and the place? And so. Um, I think that's something I'm really, really looking forward to right now. I've also loved a lot of the conversations that Alexi Pappas has been leading around mental health, and I'm super excited about the release of her new book. So those are two of the things I, I think that have really um, that have really excited me. <laughs> well, I think that's a great place to end this conversation. Where can people listening to this tune in to your new podcast grounded with Danae Doremi. Yeah. So it is going to be streaming on all major platforms. So Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also follow on Instagram at grounded pod, all one word, lowercase, or you can visit www.groundedpod.com and you should be able to find all updates and information there. Well, I encourage everyone listening to this to definitely check it out. Danae, I've enjoyed this last hour or so talking to you and working together with you on your podcast these last few months. I know it's going to be a home run, but thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all of your mentorship and support. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to the Morning Shakeout podcast. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this week's episode. I was recently able to get my hands on a pair of the new 1080 V11s from New Balance, and I was shocked to love them even more than I did last year's V10 model. New Balance claims that the 1080 offers the ultimate ride, and I have to agree. It's the best fitting shoe that I own, and the Fresh Foam X cushioning feels super comfortable underneath my feet. It's lightweight and flexible, but also responsive and durable. Basically, the perfect trainer to log most of your miles in, which is exactly what I do in them. I wear it on most of my non-workout days and for long runs too. Check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V11 on newbalance.com later this week and consider adding a pair to your rotation. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to subscribe to the show. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A couple more things before we wrap up. I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my longtime producer, John Summerford, who makes every episode of the podcast sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for running the AM Shakeout social media accounts and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. 
Last thing, if you are digging this podcast, I think you'll love my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout, and you can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Every Tuesday morning, you'll get my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. It's a quick read, five, 10 minutes tops, but it will give you plenty to think about throughout the rest of the week. Again, you can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 